0: Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we love you and we adore you and we ask that you would open our hearts this morning that we might hear from you. And it's in your name and for your glory we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So congratulations, you you survived the snow, you made it here this morning. Uh, Thank you very much for braving the snow to be here today. Um, So I have learned many things since becoming an Anglican church planting priest. And one of the things that I've learned is to never quickly, or one of the things I've learned is that the quickest way to stifle conversation is to admit to someone that I am a church planting Anglican priest. That's a quick way to just take the conversation straight downhill. And I've heard many, many responses to this when people ask what kind of work I do. Uh, People will give me the typical Minnesota, oh, that's interesting, you know, I'll hear that quite often. Or sometimes people will say, oh, is that Henry VIII's church? So you kind of have to explain that one a little bit. Uh, I've actually heard someone also say, you can just do that? You can just start a church? You know, so very interesting things that people say. um, And my favorite is probably, uh, excuse me, I need to go use the bathroom right now. <laughs> so, all sorts of responses. And it's easy for me to make light of telling someone about what kind of career I'm in. But, you know, even just admitting to someone or telling someone that you are a follower of Jesus sometimes also doesn't make sense to the conversation. You know, for many of you in the room, your commitment to Christ has driven a serious wedge into your families, uh, into your friendships that you have. Some of you have told me that tensions run high when you walk into the break room, right? Or maybe when you sit down uh, around the Thanksgiving dinner table. Now, awkward conversation is actually rather trivial in comparison to what uh, the majority of Christians have been experiencing throughout history and across the globe, right? But it's often the case that following God doesn't always make sense. It doesn't always make sense. In fact, the prophet Isaiah, which we read this morning, he knows a little bit about this as well. Uh, Isaiah is taken into the throne room of heaven, and he sees the glory of God filling the entire room, right? It's a beautiful, beautiful moment. And he hears the song of angels kind of reverberating and shaking the whole place, and he experiences God's purifying grace coming uh, directly to him. And then God calls forth for a messenger. And the renewed and the eager Isaiah responds. He says, here I am. Send me. It's hard to find other passages in scripture that are more transcendent, more powerful, more grace-filled than this moment. It's such a beautiful moment. But I don't know if you notice this or not, but the message that Isaiah is given isn't exactly a fun message to declare. Uh, In a worldly sense, it doesn't make a lot of sense to give this message out to his countrymen, right? Instead of pronouncing victory over the enemies, Isaiah is instead sent to pronounce judgment and exile to the people. You will be taken off, he's to tell him. The cities will, be li- will lay in waste, he says. The land will be absolutely desolate. This is not an upbeat message to bring to your people, is it? Well, right now in the church calendar, we're in the season of epiphany. This is the season that follows Christmas, and it's a season in which we celebrate the light of Christ spreading forth across the nations. And we've been saying here at Restoration that this also is an invitation to rediscover who Jesus is, to re-examine his mission, to look again at what Christ is doing in the world around us. For the past couple weeks, we've looked at Luke chapter 4 we've looked at, at Jesus' own mission statement, in which he says that he was sent to rescue the poor and the oppressed. And today, we're going look to at, look at Luke chapter 5. And we're going to see how Jesus' message is often confusing, often it's uncomfortable, and it's often terrifying as well. In fact, today's story of Simon Peter uh, that we're going to be looking at is his encounter with Christ. And it's a little reminiscent of Isaiah's, if you think about it. There's kind of some parallels between these two passages. It's it's no mistake that our Sunday lectionary has these passages paired together. Isaiah is taken into the throne room of heaven, and Simon meets God in a boat on a lake. Granted, that's a difference. (laughs) Isaiah sees God clothed in glory, and Simon sees God clothed in human flesh. Isaiah sees the temple filled with the smell of smoke. And Simon experiences the nets being filled with the smell of fish, (laughs) right? But both of these guys have very powerful experiences, yet very difficult encounters with God. So turn to chapter 5 of Luke, and let's take a closer look at that reading. So Simon and his buddies are cleansing the nets uh, on the beach there. And Simon and his partners are expert fishermen. It's pretty likely that their fathers were also also fishermen and their fathers before them. Uh, it's in their blood. And so they know that the nighttime is the right time to go fishing, right? The water is cooler at night. This is when the fish come to the surface to feed. Uh, the darkness of night would also make the, the nets more hidden underneath the water. But now, this story takes place in the morning time. And the fishermen are on the beach. They're cleaning up from a hard night's work. And they're, we hear here that they are extremely frustrated at the hard work that they went through because it all came for waste, a waste. It, there was nothing that they were able to catch in the middle of the night. They're tired, they're in a bad mood, and now they're closing up shop. And it's when they're closing up shop that Jesus walks in. Have some of you ever had a retail job before and someone walks into your shop right before you're about to close it up, right? Right? Maybe the shop closes at 9 o'clock and Joe Bob walks in at 8.50 and you're like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? You know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. And, it's, like, it, it, and it's, it's never the easy customers who come in late, right? It's always the needy ones, the ones who always have lots of strange questions, the ones who always are, are slow at picking up social cues, Right? They're they're always the ones who come in wanting either the fanciest latte or they want to hear all the comparisons of the products that you sell. And this is Jesus. This is Jesus when he walks in. He walks up to Simon and he says, Hey, nice boat. Like, let's take me out in your boat, right? And everything's all clean. It's ready to be packed up. They're probably ready to go home and take a nap, right? It's easy to see why Simon would be a little agitated by by Jesus' request. But Simon knows exactly who Jesus is. Who doesn't at this point, right? You know, Jesus has been around teaching massive crowds. In fact, Simon himself had witnessed Jesus do miracles firsthand. Jesus had healed Simon's mother-in-law uh, in Capernaum just a little bit ago. And so it's easy to see that Simon's like, all right, this isn't Joe Bob, this is, this is Jesus. I, I'll take him out in the boat, you know, this time. We'll see what happens here. And so he, Simon takes Jesus out into the boat, and he teaches there. And it's, it's kind of nice to be teaching from a boat in this situation because there's a huge crowd there, so it provides some space. But also the lake, is, as we as Minnesotans, as lake people know, uh, the lake functions as like a natural amplifier so that everyone could hear Jesus' words. So when Jesus is done teaching, this is when things get a little bit interesting. And I don't, I don't mean interesting in the Minnesota sense, like it really does get interesting. <laughs> this is when Jesus says to Simon to go out into the deeper waters and lower your, no, your nets back into the water. Now we already know this is a weird request, right? We've already, we already have, have heard that this is a uh, horrible time to go fishing. The time for fishing has passed. The water is warm now. The fish have retreated into the deeper waters far below the surface. It's closing time, and seriously, Jesus isn't getting the hint, right? And so you can kind of understand why Simon would respond in this way. He's, he protests. He says, Master, we have been toiling all night long, and we didn't catch a single thing. The fish aren't in the mood. It's a bad day. We, we've already cleansed our boats. And Jesus, you're a carpenter. You build the boat, and I'll take the boat out, okay? You don't, you don't understand what's going on here. But yet, Simon, quite reluctantly, obliges again to take Jesus out further into the water. And we all know what happens at this moment, right? It's as if every single fish in the entire sea comes and jumps into the nets of the boat. I, I don't know if fish jump, but they would jump into the nets of the boat, right? And they started to tug the nets down and overweigh the nets with how many fish there were. The boats even begin to sink and get pulled down into the water. And then another boat rushes over, and then it begins to sink as well. Can you imagine the adrenaline rush that might be going through Peter and his friends at that moment? Can you imagine all the dollar signs that are kind of clicking through their minds right now, thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to be such a great market, si- market day, right? They're seeing more fish in this moment than they've seen for years and years and years. This is going to be an awesome profit day at the market. But notice in the story, this is kind of the end of hearing about the fish. This isn't a story like the feeding of the 5,000. This isn't a story about the fish. This is a story about Jesus' intentional, purpose-filled pursuit of Simon and the other disciples. You see, all of this time, Jesus has been intentionally pursuing Simon from the healing of his mother-in-law to choosing this moment to come and teach, choosing his boat to get into, for this moment to be um, the moment in which Jesus calls Simon to himself. And you can see this is when Simon starts to lose his mind, right? Simon is absolutely freaking out in this moment because he realizes he almost missed out. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He's realizing that his grumbling It's grumbling, he's almost missed out at the grace that Jesus had for him. You know, and and don't make any mistake about it, this isn't this isn't Simon just saying, like, oh Lord, oh depart from me. Like he's not being pious in this moment. He's absolutely losing his mind. He's consumed with shame in this moment. And he's genuinely pleading Jesus to depart from his presence. He says, This is God right here in the flesh. I can't take it, Simon says. Did you notice as we heard these readings how Simon's words kind of parallel Isaiah's, right? Let me read again to you what Isaiah says. He says, woe to me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I have dwelt in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me, says Isaiah. And likewise, Simon, he isn't just confessing one individual sin here. He's confessing his own limits, his own blindness, his own brokenness of his entire human existence. It might look like Simon is on a boat in this moment, surrounded by piles of stinky fish. But Simon might as well be in the throne room of heaven at this moment, surrounded by the terrifying seraphim crying out, holy, holy, holy. So how then does Jesus respond to Simon Peter? Does he say, oh, gosh, I told you so. Don't ever tell me I'm just a carpenter ever again, Simon. Stop asking questions. No, Jesus doesn't respond to him like that at all. Jesus speaks words of restoration over Simon. He says, do not be afraid. I'm not going to smite you. He says, give me your shame and I will give you courage. Let me still your fears, Simon, for I am here to bring you life. And then Jesus says something beautiful and fascinating. He says, from now on, you will be catching men. Now that word catching, there's only one time that that word is used in all the Gospels, and it's right here. It's not the same word that we heard earlier for fishing. This word is a little different. It's far more unique. This word is meant to bring something in for the purpose of sustaining life in it. There's a connotation of mercy that's used in this word for catching. Oftentimes it's used in war when armies would go out. Instead of absolutely slaughtering a village, you would catch the men and the women there. You would would bring them in, you would keep them alive so that you could bring more purpose to them later on. This is a word of gathering people and giving them newness of life and giving them a second chance. And that's what Jesus is inviting Simon Peter into at this moment. He's inviting him into the work of liberating captives and setting prisoners free. So Simon Peter and the other disciples, they left everything and followed him. He left a big pile of money on the beach. He left his family boats behind and whatever resources might be tied up with those. He left his new reputation behind of being that guy who catched a miraculous amount of fish. After a day like this, he would have been set for the rest of his life, right? And he left all of that behind so this is interesting there's there's actually a moment in matthew's gospel in which jesus changes simon's name he changes his name to peter it's a beautiful moment in which he says to him on you i will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it but here in Luke's gospel that change is much more subtle this passage this is the first time in which simon peter's name is used the next time it's used in Luke's gospel Uh, Luke refers to him as Peter, who once was called Simon, and then after that, it's just Peter, 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 Peter. This is the moment in which his name is changed. This is the moment in which now Christ encounters him and gives him a new identity, gives him a new calling and a new purpose. So friends, following Jesus doesn't always make sense. It doesn't always make sense, does it? So... I first, some of you have been over to our homes for a newcomer's dinner. You've, you know that Molly and I first felt called to ministry many, many years ago. But in order to kind of pay the bills and make our way through seminary, I picked up a job in technology. Um, I started this technology consulting company. And it was a lot of fun work. I hired some of my buddies from the Apple store, so I kind of know what it's like to work retail and have to shoo away folks at closing time. But I really enjoyed it. It was really fun uh, working with my buddies, setting my own hours, having really friendly, interesting clients. And there was even a moment in which I thought, you know what, maybe this is it. Maybe the Lord has led me along this path to do this. So I kind of thought, like, "This this is good work. Maybe this is what I'm called to do. But God used some other situations in our life to kind of rattle us a little bit, to kind of remind us of the calling that he had first instilled in us many, many years ago. And I remember sitting down with a business partner, or not a business partner, a business mentor of mine, and I told him, you know what, because of these experiences, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop this business, and I'm going to pursue um, pastoral ministry uh, as much as I can. I'm going to be all in. And his response was, he was very disappointed, right? He, he took it as a moment to remind me of all the money that I was leaving behind, He even tossed out figures that he thought this company would be making in a few years. You know, figures that were quite dizzying for me, especially as a seminary or someone fresh out of seminary, right? But following that call to Christ was instilled in me. I knew that it was what we were called to do. And following those steps eventually led to the planting of this church, to the planting of restoration. And I'm not saying that this church is here strictly because of me and Molly. I think God would have done this even without us being a part of it. But it's an honor to be here. And when I look back at this moment, it totally makes sense, right? I have seen the Lord building up a community here. I have heard stories from many of you of moments in which you were almost done with Christ, that you were ready to walk away completely from Christ. But for whatever reason, you were brought back. You were introduced to this community. You were almost going to give up. You were almost ready to toss in the towel. But somehow, God brought you here and has been breathing new life into you. And I wish that we could just spend the rest of the day sharing these stories. I get the honor of being able to hear these. And I'm, I, just, I look for opportunities in which we could share these with one another. And I know that that's happening at life groups and at other gatherings of the church. And it's just such an honor to be here and to be a part of this. Because I know that, that starting a church doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the eyes of the world. It causes a lot of people to scratch their heads but my goodness, it is so worth it, right? There is an energy here in the room. There is an excitement here when God is at work. And I know that some of you are facing some really difficult decisions in your lives right now. You're facing some different, difficult things as well. You know, maybe you're being tempted to, rather than follow Christ at your work, you're being tempted to maybe cut corners here and there. To kind of stray from the Lord's way a little bit. You know, it's tax season right now. Maybe you're tempted to fudge the numbers a little bit so you get a little bit more of that return, right? Or maybe you're fudging the numbers at work in front of the boardroom so that your reputation is elevated a little bit, so that you look a little bit better, right? Or maybe you're tempted to go and maybe unplug that blinking warning light so that nobody else can see it going off right now. Or maybe you're tempted to ignore that feedback of a peer... Because you know that secretly underneath the service, that feedback is touching on something much more massive and big that could be your downfall. Or maybe you're a student, right? And maybe taking this Jesus stuff seriously is costing you friendships among your your classmates and whatnot. So what are ways that you're being tempted right now to stray from Christ's calling? Because friends, make no mistake about it, Christ is calling you this morning. Just in the same way he was calling Isaiah or calling Simon Peter. He's calling you this morning. And following him doesn't always make sense. You might be leaving behind a big pile of money out on the beach. You might be leaving behind the family business. You might be leaving behind friends or whatever. And I'm not saying that that you're necessarily called to plant a church somewhere, although maybe, I don't know, that's a part of it. But what is God calling you into? And what is it going to actually cost you? And friends, I know that I, I can speak for myself and, and I know I can speak on behalf of many of you who shared your stories with me, that following the Lord is absolutely worth it. It's absolutely worth it, right? Just even look at what Peter accomplished through the rest of his life. He went on to go and proclaim the good news of Christ to entire crowds of people where thousands would come to him. He went on to write like several books of the Holy Bible. Like 2,000 years later, we're still reading the things that Peter has done. He was given a huge... Um, fellowship with the church in Jerusalem. And likewise, God will be giving you a new name. He'll be giving you a new purpose. He'll be giving you a new family here in the church, a group of people who will be cheering you on in your walk with the Lord. He will be giving you his very own self. Friends, following Christ isn't always worth it. it doesn't always, or it's not always making sense, but it is always, always worth it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. So at this moment,